Welcome to Mondays with Millie, a podcast about the past with real relevance to the present day. I'm your host, Phil Cristofaro, and in this podcast series, I interview my 90-year-old mother-in-law, Doreen, who I affectionately call Millie, about her ordinary life and the extraordinary events which influenced it. Millie has witnessed firsthand some incredible things across 10 decades. This is a personal history which gives us some perspective about life's triumphs and challenges. Season 6 of Mondays with Millie. In episode 6, we start with the fall of the Berlin Wall. Millie is aware of the significance of this for the world, but is focused very much on family matters. Chris takes temporary command of HMS Lancaster, and Paul receives a bravery award saving the lives of two people. Please enjoy this episode of Mondays with Millie. Okay, welcome everybody to this episode of Mondays with Millie. How are you, Millie? How are you feeling? I'm fine. I'm fine. Absolutely fine. Um, a little bit of tragic news this week with the um, lightning strike of that poor little boy. Oh, that uh, was terrible. It was terrible. And I think Kirsten was telling me that you had, that you were at your kitchen sink and you, and you, you noticed well, a I real walked, change in the weather or something, didn't you? I did, yes. And I heard these big, what turned out to be um, hailstones on the glass roof. And I was just making a cup of tea. It was five o'clock in the evening. I walked through to the living room. And as I reached the window in the living room, there was this terrible bang. It was just one bang, nothing else. Uh, like normally you hear lightning in the distance, uh, uh, rather thunderstorms. You hear the thunder in the distance, don't you? Well, I heard this bang and I thought there'd been a, a big, um, you know, uh, an accident outside. And I'm trying to peer through the window with my bad eyesight, of course. Couldn't see any, any problem at all. And then literally within seconds, I saw uh, this huge bolt of lightning. And it came straight down, and it was just like you see in pictures, zigzag. A huge bolt of lightning came straight down. And I thought, gosh, that, that's, had, that's hit Kiln House Lane, which you know how near that is, you know, mm -hmm. just behind the next row of houses. Uh, and that must have been the bolt, I suppose, the fatal bolt for him, uh, because it's only, what, 
a mile down the road, really, mm. to where the playing field is, you know. It was ter- and you know, the whole thing was over within first to last within ten minutes, the whole lot. Mm. Well, didn't wasn't it a really sunny day up until this it was. really dramatically changed quickly, didn't it? Yes. Yes, it did. Mm. It was it was just so so amazing, really. So I reckon that we only had two two thun- uh, two bolts of lightning. That was all and it was gone. Mm. Mm. Yes. Terrible, terrible, awful for the local but community. It was. Uh, because, of course, the first one, I didn't actually see it because I was in the kitchen at the back of the house. And it was only as I walked through and I saw the second bolt of lightning. Mm. But it was, it was terrifying, really. Quite wonderful until you realise what a tragedy yeah, is called. Of course, absolutely. Mm. Um, I want to cast your <laughs> mind back a bit, Uh and, and in this episode, we're going to cover sort of we're going to bookend the nineties. We're going to start start at the beginning and um, finish at the end. Uh, and I think, well, it was nineteen eighty nine, but nineteen ninety came along, and it was a very amazing event for the whole of the world, and, and particularly Europe, with the fall of the Berlin Wall and the Iron <coughs> Curtain um, yep. being dismantled. What's your memory of that? Uh, well, of course, it was all wildly exciting. And we saw these people um, literally taking it down brick by brick, you know, and throwing the, the bricks down. Uh, because up till then, we, we occasionally on the news, we used to see people who were trying to escape and they were being shot. Because, of course, part of that wall... They used houses as part of that wall, you know. It was it it was built onto the back of a row of houses, and people used to try and escape through the derelict houses uh, and get over the wall. There were many people were shot and killed trying to escape into West Germany. What? So it was quite amazing, really. It was amazing. What what sense of change do you think it brought? to the country because you spoke in an earlier episode about the Cuban Missile Crisis and what it was like. I mean, that that was very, was quite, it was fascinating for me to hear how close the Cold War was and everything. Hmm. I think a lot of people uh, class this as part of Russia in a way because, of course, it was the Russian-occupied uh, part of uh, Berlin, you know, East Berlin. So in one way, it, it people were, you know, it's quite um, amazing that you thought Germany was going to be whole again, you know, instead of being split. Um, and you you felt as though you'd be able to travel, uh, not as I travelled to Germany, not till many years later, but a lot of people wanted to travel to Berlin and felt that they they didn't want to the way things were. You know, it was like a war zone still. You see, hmm. it didn't make any difference to us over here. It was just uh, people there, and of course we were, we still had an occupied army over there, didn't we? Hmm. So we still, you know, the Americans and the British. Did you feel safer because of it? Um. 
no, I don't think so. We, we, we did feel safe anyway. Life was very normal here. I mean, to be perfectly honest, <laughs> I, was, I was more um, involved with um, family at the time. You know, my granddaughter, Tamar, of course, uh, she was Sportswoman of the Year for this area, which was wonderful, you know, because she was a very, very good uh, table tennis player. So we were all excited about that, which all happened at the same time, you know. So it seems very selfish, doesn't it, talking about it in that way? But our lives were just, it didn't make any difference to our lives in Great Britain. No. As we called, we called ourselves Great Britain then, not the UK, you know. <laughs> What 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 is the difference? Well, there isn't any difference really. The UK is just the United Nations, isn't it? The four four evolved nations, but uh, it was called Great Britain in those days. Well, isn't you it don't still called? Don't don't people still call it Great Britain? Well, not really. Apart from the GB plates you put on your car if you're going abroad, you know. I think you still have. I think they still have GB plates. I mean, I don't drive now, so maybe I'm out of date. But um, do you think that's you uh, that that people aren't as patriotic? Do you think that's the case? I think a lot of people are patriotic. I, I really do. Um, but then, uh, but not so much the younger ones. I don't think the young people are patriotic these days, like we were. You know. Hmm. I mean, at one time, uh, uh, for some reason, nobody decided they were going to buy French apples anymore. We weren't going to buy French apples because the French hadn't been very nice to us. And so everybody pe- uh, bought English apples. <laughs> Silly things like that. You know? Well, you might not be buying French apples at the moment because there's a bit of a well, no. <laughs> dispute going on in the channel, isn't there? It's been, there is, yes. It's quite there dramatic. Is. Yes. Is that yes. still big news over there at the moment? Oh yes, it's 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 not it's a problem, but it's been sort of um, it's in the background at the moment because of all the the COVID problems, you see. And of course now we, we've got the Indian variety, which is pretty awful, and uh, that may slow things down a bit with getting back to normal. It's quite sad, really, because everyone's getting excited about. Next week we can hug people. Well, I'm not going to go around hugging people all the time because, um, you know, for over a year now I haven't even had a cold, which is amazing for me. You know, every year I get a cold and I get a chest infection, nothing like that. So I've been very healthy. So I don't want to go around hugging people. No. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? Yes. Do, yeah. you, do you think it'll change your behaviour? I do. I do, really. Mm. And they were talking on the TV this morning about, do you think people will start shaking hands again? And, and of course, some people will, but other people will still knock elbows like they have been doing instead of shaking hands. Well, I still feel it, find it really awkward. Uh, I was at a school yes. the other day meet, working with some people and one guy put his hand out and I put my hand out and then he put his yes. elbow up and I... Oh, it was just, it was a mess. It was terrible. Um, but, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I, yeah, well, look, I'm a tactile person and, I, I, you know, I like shaking people's hands and giving people a hug and I, it's really odd 
just feels really strange to me. Yes. Um, so what else happened in the 90s that was really big for, for, for the family? For the family? Mm. Well, of course, John and I both retired. He in, in 92 and me in 96. And then we've spoken about that before. Um, getting used to um, John being at home and whatnot, you know. Um, so that was fine. Of course, Alex was born in 93. Um, and then you came over here, didn't you, for two years? You spent yeah. two years here till your visa expired. Yeah, yeah. And you were teaching in Ealing. It was Ealing, wasn't it, where you were teaching? Uh, well, yeah, for a bit, uh, for a bit of it, Northolt. I was in Northolt, and then I was in oh, um, right. Tooting. After that, for a, for twelve months, so the last, the last half of my stay. Um, actually, I had a my my very fond my last trip to the UK was a a reunion uh, of the class that I taught in nineteen ninety five, and we got together. Uh, they're all in their they're in their early thirties, and I got together with them, and we had um the most wonderful reunion. And I hadn't seen them since they were ten, and I went out drinking really? with them, and we had a lovely meal, and had lots of uh, drinks, and it was just a really wonderful time. Very very fond memory that I'll um absolutely treasure. Um, but uh, yeah, nineteen ninety five. It was um. Uh, probably one of my that's uh, probably my favorite year of teaching in my whole career i think really oh just yeah. because of that special group of people they're just wonderful wonderful human beings um yes and uh you know you get to see them as adults you don't often see that when you leave when they leave you no you don't you know um so yeah, that's Mind it. It. yeah. you still you still have a you still have a following here, you know, from when you, you taught here in 2007. You know, you and Kirsten came over after John died and spent, took a sabbatical for a year and lived over here close to me. And you were teaching, weren't you, at the little school in Staining. Yeah. And uh, they still talk about Mr C playing his guitar on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, there was no shortage of that, that's for sure. No. Um, no. Playing dodgy guitar. Um, so, so what, what happened with Chris? Did, did Chris's career sort of advance? Oh, well, yes. Well, of course, Chris has been on so many ships, you can't count really. But he was, he was, uh, first officer on, uh, in 97, he was first officer on HMS Lancaster. And, um, he, uh, his, the captain was taken seriously ill. In fact, I believe he retired. And Kirsten, uh, uh, Christopher, rather, was given uh, command of the ship. So um, that was 97. So 98 came, which was John's 70th birthday. So he arranged, they were, the ship was um, in dock at Liverpool, uh, awaiting to go on NATO exercises. And uh, he arranged a secret birthday um uh, a birthday a celebration for John. He he'd no idea at all. He thought we were just going to go up on Saturday and have a quick look round the ship while it was in port. And of course, when we got there, um, we drove into the car park, which was right next to where the ship was berthed. 
And um, I said, oh, look, oh, look at that. I said, an Austin princess. I said, that's just like Arthur has, my cousin Arthur, you see, uh, who, of course, lives in Cheadle Hume. And, uh, he, and, and Paul, uh, rather, John said, oh, yeah, so it is, you know. Of course, we went on board the ship and we didn't know until we got there that um, it was a birthday it was a birthday uh, party and all our relatives from Cheadle Hume in Cheshire were there and uh, Tom was there, John's friend and Bob and Barbara, all our close friends were there. Uh, As a surprise party. party. And Chris, oh, lovely, it was lovely. Chris, Chris had arranged this obviously. Yes, in the wardroom and, and, and uh, some of the crew of course were helping out, you know, and they'd made a birthday cake and a lovely buffet and everything. And of course, they had a parrot on the ship who was very rude to ladies. So Jill <laughs> warned me, don't go near that damn parrot. You know, it's very rude to ladies. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> they, I'm not sure if that was the same parrot that he had to bring home with him when he left the ship. I think it was. Um, but um, of course, he, he never, it, the thing was, it didn't settle at sea. You know, they did have another parrot, which which did, but this one didn't settle at sea. And so he decided to bring it home with him. And uh, it fin- Paul finished up looking after it. Of course, Paul would look after anything. It didn't matter what it was, as long as it had fur or feathers on, you know. <laughs> uh, so that that's what happened to the parrot. But Christopher then went on these NATO exercises with uh, HMS Lancaster, and they were sailing uh, round in the Bahamas, you know, that's the area they were going to. And of course, there were German ships there and Italian and French, you know, it was a big exercise. And when they got, they were, they were burst in, I think it was in, I think it was in New York, somewhere like that anyway. Uh, and this, and of course, some of the, the crew had been allowed to go ashore, you see, uh, in batches, you know, not all the ship altogether. Mm. And, uh, Suddenly, this terrific hurricane came very quickly, and they were told they had to get a, they had to get, get out to sea as soon as possible, because it wasn't safe to be in shore. You see, with the ship, and uh, so we had they had to leave, and some of the crew were left behind. So they 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 contacted them by phone, I suppose, and uh, Chris gave them instructions. Uh, to meet him at the Keys, and they had to find the way down the coast to the Keys, you know, uh, quite a long way. So two or three days later, he, uh, the, ship, the ship came in, and uh, he, took a, he, he took aboard the boy, his boys that were missing. Most of them arrived there, found the way down there. But amongst them were some Germans <laughs> who'd also got left behind. So they finished up transferring the German sailors uh, when they got out to sea. They transferred them to their own ship, you know. <laughs> because they so was, they were all because of this hurricane. Ex- mm-hmm. Yes, it was quite an exercise, really. Yes, so he took the ships of the hurricane, yes. Uh, but um, that was quite an occasion, really. And then they finished up, um, I think they finished up in the... Kiel Canal, is it the Kiel Canal, Kiev Canal? Yes, Kiel Canal um, in Europe. And then they sent another more senior officer out 
to, because um, I think Christopher was only a lieutenant commander then, uh, and they sent this um, senior officer out. And he arrived and he just said to Chris, well, you know everything about the ship, I don't, so I'll take care of the parties, you take care of the, take care of the crew, you know. <laughs> Apparently all this captain had to do really was um, host the parties that came aboard, you know, different important people wanted to come aboard and whatnot. And um, we had a speaker of the house then, Betty Boothroyd. And she went out there and she came on board this particular um, cocktail party. And uh, when she was going, she, she'd been chatting to Christopher quite a lot of the time. And when she was going with a, a friend, she said, is there anything, if there's anything I can do for you, Christopher? And he said, well, you can actually. You can, you can, clear, the, you can clear the party because we really want, all want to go up. Go to bed. We're very tired. And and she shouted at the top of her voice, "Order, order! <laughs> Time to go home." <laughs> yes. Now, now, she was a, I, I a think, character. I think Paul. At this around this time, Paul was getting his share of awards too, wasn't he? He and. He he was, and his, yeah. his dogs were getting. I, I know you've got lots of photos in your in your living yes, room. Yes, we um, have. So, what, what was he getting these awards for? Well, uh, one of them was just a long service award, of course. But another, the other one was, uh, I suppose you'd say, a bravery award. Really, I forget exactly what they called it. But I know we went to the presentation. It was quite grand. And what had happened was. There was a guy who was trying to commit suicide. I think he was on drugs as well. And he was on top of a, a very high story um, parking uh, area. And he was stood on the wall there wanting to throw himself off. So this young policewoman, had, uh, she'd spotted him first or someone had notified her. And she was up there. Well, Christopher got this, uh, rather Paul got this call. So he took his dog van straight up to the top. It was, you know, up to the top level, out into the open. And um, fortunately, he was just in time because this young policewoman wasn't very... Uh, she hadn't been a policewoman very long. And she forgot the golden rule, really. You know, when someone is trying to throw themselves off a high building, you don't immediately grab them because they'll take you with them. And this is what was happening. He was uh, the two of them were there grappling, and he was taking her over the top of him. And Paul was just in time, really. He managed to hold on to both of them for quite a while until um, someone came to help. So he saved both their lives, actually. And uh, so that's what he got his uh, bravery award for. Mm. Wow. But, and he didn't need his dog. And he didn't need his dog. No. <laughs> he could have had one many a time with his dog, share it with his dog. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Knowing Paul, he would have felt guilty about taking that award without the dog sitting next to him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mind you, the, the dog would have probably bitten them and then they'd have all gone out with the dog. 
he, he said it was he's quite a big guy to begin with, and then with the added weight of both of them, he said afterwards, I don't know how I managed to hold on. He said, I, I couldn't drag them both back properly. He said, it was a question of holding on, you know. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> He's good at holding on, though, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a black belt in it, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he has, yes. Yes. I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. Like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor falls, the major lifts, the baffled king composing. Hallelujah! 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 That concludes episode six, season six of Mondays with Millie. In the final episode, we cover the wedding of the decade, which had a close and personal connection with Millie herself look forward to your company again next week your faith was strong but you needed proof you saw her breathing on the roof her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you she tied you to her kitchen chair she broke your throne and she cut your hair and from your lips she drew the hallelujah Mondays with Millie is an e-learn production, editing and dodgy guitar work by yours truly, Phil Cristofaro, vocal work by Millie's granddaughter, Neve. <laughs>